Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this afternoon with this very tiny Christmas tree that is not anywhere near the size of my Christmas tree that I will have after Thanksgiving is our good friend, Chad Metz. Yeah, I will never have that big monstrosity that I've helped put you up a couple years. Never going to happen. Never. Well, at least you get to miss out on the fun of this, this one. Uh, by the way, I'm moving next month to a upstairs apartment. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm missing that. Clark, Gris- Clark W. Griswold would be proud. Um, so, Chad, our corporate overlords have dictated that today is Disney Plus Day. As if there were any shortage of movie news to talk about, the uh, Disney gods have provided us with abundance. Your thoughts, sir, on all of the things that our corporate overlords dumped on us, because it feels like Investor Day all over again. I mean, it it is kind of like Investor Day, but they they actually give us like moving images to like ooh and I. Uh, I was trying to follow it on the Disney Plus feed on Twitter. I just said, you know what? Screw it. I want to know about Star Wars, Marvel, and uh, new animated stuff. And lo and behold, they actually loaded all those things onto Disney Plus. So I just watched them all. Uh, in total, it was less than 20 minutes. No, wait, no, less than 25 minutes. Most of it was taken up by Marvel, which was 14 minutes. And they cheated because their 14 minutes, about, oh, nine of it was everything we'd already seen that had come out on Disney Plus already. So they went through WandaVision and Captain. uh Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, uh, What If. They did all those, gave us good, like, chunks of all of those. And it was like, yeah, and we had this show, this show, and this show, and you get, like, a minute each, with the exception of Hawkeye. Hawkeye, you got, like, an extended little scene. Um, but it, and then it, they gave you, like, things for next year, and then a bunch of title cards. Because if you didn't realize how much stuff they have going, Marvel-wise, watch that and watch the number of title cards. I should have counted, but it was it's uh, kind of mind-boggling how many things they have going on. And these are live-action shows, cartoons, I'm assuming some shorts, but I, I, I can't really tell for sure, but Marvel is loaded up on stuff. And then you contrast that with the Pixar video, which was three minutes, uh, it had nothing of Lightyear, the movie we just got a trailer for, like, what, a week, two weeks ago? Um, it touched on Turning Red. By touched on, I mean they introduced us to the director. We didn't get anything new from that. Uh, there was another director we met. I can't remember what movie he was working on. They introduced us to a Pixar show that's coming out in 2023. Um, a quick a quick look at the short that was released today on on Disney Plus Day the uh, from the short from Luca uh, Child Alberto and there's one other thing oh and Cars the series that nobody asked for and keep getting more of uh, they're having a series on uh, on Disney Plus with with Mater and Lightning McQueen with um, Larry the Cable Guy and Owen um, um, oh, Wilson Owen Wilson reprising his role. So that was all from Pixar. And then it was just a, a few other little smattering of things that I saw on Disney Plus itself. 
the one I was most entertained by was the the Willow thing, where he's introducing all of the younger cast and they don't know what the original movie is or who he is. I, I was amused by that. So all in all, I know we'll get deeper into the Marvel stuff, but Marvel had the chunk, the big chunk of it. Star Wars actually didn't. It was just the Obi Wan thing that was on um, on Disney right. Plus. They didn't have anything else, and we got that. I guess the Obi-Wan thing we saw, it's the same thing that came out earlier this week. I guess that was a leak that wasn't supposed to come out until, because since that's all we had for it, but I, that's the only Star Wars from Disney Plus Day that's on actual Disney Plus. I don't know if there was anything else that I missed. You did. You missed the Bubba Fett documentary that is 20 minutes long. Hmm. Oh, I didn't count that because that one wasn't in the, so there's two Disney Plus, two lists on Disney Plus. There's the, like the what I'm calling the newsy one, which was all the stuff I just talked about. And then there's the stuff that they just dropped today. And yes, that Boba Fett thing is in there, the documentary that's going to um, make some Boba Fett fans happy. So people like me can't say Boba Fett didn't do a goddamn thing until The Mandalorian, because uh, this documentary is going to show all the cool things Boba Fett's done between The Mandalorian and saying two lines in Empire Strikes Back. So technically, it's a brilliant documentary because it does walk you through the entire history of everything Bubba Hutt related, including the costume. Uh, it brings out the people who actually made the costume. It shows you uh, footage from 1978 of them testing the, the costume. It shows you the very first appearance of Bubba Fett in the Star Wars lure, which is uh, the parade through George Lucas's hometown, where he was, uh, where he was, you know, Darth Vader's bodyguard, and everybody was looking for autographs from it. This predates the uh, Christmas special by like two years. That was um, my question. Yeah, you you uh, you learn that uh, originally Bubba Fett in the design for Bubba Fett was supposed to be a mass army of new upgraded stormtroopers. And then George Lucas got the budget for Empire, and he was like, I can't afford to do that. So he just turned him into one guy because he liked the design. Um, and it, there, it walks you through the entire thing from, you know, from his total screen time, which is six minutes and 45 seconds, to his lines of dialogue. Um, and it walks you through, you know, the, the fan attention to the character and why it gained popularity. And ironically enough, <laughs> The theme of the documentary is you can apply your own backstory to this guy. You don't need to know what happened to him or where he came from. All you need to know is he's a bounty hunter and he looks cool. And that's why fans gravitate toward him. That's the whole thing, the whole point of the documentary. It's awesome because it, it doesn't like try to make it make, you know, avoid that. It goes headlong into, yeah, we just, you know, this whole thing was a happy accident. And now we've got this little bit of cannon we can play with and we're going to, you know, make the most of it. It gives you some footage, mostly from the trailer or the book effect that we've already seen. Filoni has a lot of uh, a lot of it, a lot of stuff in it. So does Joe Johnston. So does George Lucas. So does uh, the guy who runs the Obi Wan Ranch, which is just a uh, apparently a mecca collection of uh, Star Wars memorabilia that fans go to and observe, uh, kind of like the Graceland Star Wars, I guess. Um, and it's it's interesting. Uh, it's it's short, but it's very informative and gets you set up for for that. 
the thing that I've enjoyed the most today that they've dropped has been um, the documentaries. I don't know how many people um, are aware of it, but back in the day when you had actual physical DVDs, by the way, packing to move, I have seven boxes of DVDs. I'm a physical media whore. But, <laughs> but, and I'm seeking to buy more DVDs at the moment, actually. So um, back in the day when DVDs were actually a thing for someone other than me and Criterion nerds, um, they would have these things on DVDs called special features. And there were two that were always really popular. One was the director commentary. You would get commentary for the entire feature length of the, of the picture by the director or the writers or stars or everyone. And you would they would talk throughout the entire movie. And two were the behind the scenes making of documentaries. Um, those have ceased to exist since physical media stopped being a thing. And really since Blu-ray became a thing because Blu-rays never really did as many special features as DVDs did. But now Marvel has revived the practice. And so right now on Disney Plus, you have a making of for all three of their uh, live action series that they have on Disney Plus right now. They making an hour, and they're all an hour long. It's an hour for WandaVision, an hour for uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, an hour for Loki. And then today they posted the behind the scenes documentaries for the making of Black Widow and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And so those are also on Disney Plus. They're great watches. They're really informative, especially for like the, the cinema nerds in us that want to know how they make these things. The Loki one in particular was very informative because it, it, it kind of gave some perspective on how things changed as they were going on and, and how they made the decisions. And it's also really interesting to see people on, on set wearing masks because <laughs> you're going to have to explain that in about five years to people. But um, the making of documentaries for the, for the Marvel stuff has been a great thing. And, I, and it looks like they're going to continue doing those for every show and every movie. So that'll be a really helpful thing because it, they're putting them out after spoiler season is done. So like after they've done the podcast and media blitz where they've talked endlessly about the spoilers of the movie, this is more about them talking about the creative process of the film or the television series, which is endlessly fascinating to me. Um, that and like I can't help but get a little bit giddy at the idea of Obi-Wan and Vader one more time with those two actors before, you know, everybody gets too old. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the the series is called Assemble with the behind the scenes stuff from Marvel. Uh, I've watched all of them. I did not realize that the one for Shang-Chi was, came out today. I saw that Assemble was up in that, that first list of things dropped today, but but the thumbnail for it is of actual Loki. So I was like, why is this here? But now I went and just looked. I'm like, oh, okay. And I will be watching that uh, very shortly because I do, much like you, uh, as I stare at this mounds of DVDs and Blu-rays right next to me, uh, I am a physical media whore and I like that behind the scenes stuff too. And I, I want to check this one out, particularly with uh, with, with Strong Chi. Um, Mentioning the Obi-Wan thing, I found it really interesting how excited Ewan McGregor got when he when he said when he brought up Hayden Christensen. Uh just because it's so antithetical to what 
the normal fan response is to Hayden Christensen. They're normally like shrieking and hissing at him because they blame him for his role in the prequels. But to see to see uh, Ewan like get excited and at least you know that he at least enjoys the guy. I mean, granted, they work together for those two movies, but I think he even knows how he's more talented actor than people give him credit for. Because uh, I know when I hear, I, now granted, I've only seen him in like two other things outside of Star Wars, and they one weren't of them great. Was Jumper. Yes, one of them was Jumper. Uh, Which won't help anybody's resume. Yeah. And the other one was, uh, is it, I want to say it's Takers. I know it's the one with T.I. in it. Um, and I can't, I don't remember his performance. I, and Jumper, Jumper's its own thing. I don't remember his performance in that one. But I do know enough that he's done other things. And I don't think he was the problem with his performance. I think that all came down to your director and writer who by everybody's accounts, he's even his own. He's not the best with actors. He's, he knew what he wanted the shots to say. He just wanted, excuse me. He just wanted them to say the lines and move on. And the person that suffered the most because of that was Hayden Christensen. So I'm excited to see him in this new series and how that works. And how, and the big question for me with that is, who's voicing Vader because James Earl Jones he he's still around uh thankfully but you can hear it in his voice that he's still around I know they've replaced him on like some of the cartoons they've replaced him on Rebels and they've replaced him in the in the Clone Wars adaptation that came along but when they did the, the Rogue One shots they used they used James Earl Jones and I think they'll use him here and it'll be his last turn um it's interesting to me that you bring that up because the thing about Star Wars that that you encapsulate in that Boba Fett documentary is that the fans gravitate toward the people behind their act, their their favorite act characters. Uh, they have an entire section in um, in the Boba Fett documentary talking about the guy who actually portrayed him in the two movies and how he did the thing that all all people do which is go on the con circuit. And they talked about how much fan appreciation and love the guy had and how much he enjoyed going to cons and interacting with people and all those kinds of things. And Hayden had started doing some of that kind of thing. And he had been getting some positive response. Cause I mean, I think we all get caught up in our own generation where like people who were of cinema going age at that time have a very specific idea and vision of the prequels. We have our own opinions of the prequels. Kids people who were eight, nine, 10 years old watching those, those Star Wars movies, they're their Star Wars movies. They're the Star Wars movies they grew up on. And then after those movies were over, they grew up with Clone Wars and with uh, Rebels, which were animated series by Filoni that included Anakin and included Hayden Christensen's portrayal of Anakin. So he is their Anakin. Uh, it's not Jake Lloyd. Um, and when I think about the way that the fans have gravitated toward him and accepted him on the con circuit, and then I take into account, I look at, at, at Hayden Christensen the same way I look at um, at our uh, our boy who, who's 
who's going to play Batman here uh, next. Robert Pattinson. I look at it in the same way I look at Pattinson. Pattinson gets judged harshly for the three Twilight movies, which have nothing to do with his acting ability. He was a young man, a younger man. He was given material that was not the greatest, that was not written, you know, the best. And he was put into this situation to look hunky and say some corny lines. And the world judged him on that. And he basically had to go underground and then reappear after, you know, Water for Elephants is a good, like, next step. And then he goes underground and he starts doing the indie stuff. And slowly but surely over the last eight to ten years, he's been building an indie portfolio, which shows you this dude can act. Like, this isn't just, like, the hunky dude from Twilight who's saying corny lines. This is an actual actor. And I think what excites um, Ewan McGregor about the possibility of working with Hayden again is that he can see the growth in Hayden as an actor, not just before Obi-Wan, but on the set of Obi-Wan. Like, he's able to compare the way they inter- he interacts on the set from 2004 and 2001 to now. And he can see the growth in Hayden as an actor. And I think that's what excites him the most about this possibility. And I'm excited for the same possibilities with Ahsoka. Um, the fact that so many young people have that story of Ahsoka and Anakin in their like in their face. Like it's a very important part of the Star Wars mythology for them to see that and to see Hayden willingly coming back and wanting to come back to do that in a way that, you know, Ahmad Best and Jake Lloyd would never have done because they were literally hazed out of the Star Wars fandom. Um is interesting, but I think the I think that it's he, Ewan is saying those things because of what he sees in Hayden as an actor. But I also think he says that because Hayden, because uh, Ewan himself has been truthful and honest about the prequel making process and about George and George's approach. And so I think he's always kind of had a level head about that, whereas other people haven't. Um, so. Um, I think those are two things that account for why why he Ewan is is reacting the way that he is. Yeah, I I value his opinion on Hayden more than fans that are just big mad over the prequels. So, I mean, give the, the fans that drove Ahmad Best almost commit suicide. Yeah, fandom the the treatment of the people that that they don't like is the the bad side of fandom and you can see it as you said with best um we see it with hayden christensen i'm i'm glad that hayden is getting a chance to come back and i don't know if he'll change anybody's mind but i just hope people give him a chance i think they'll give him a chance just because he's going to be in this series and they're going to have to deal with that one way or another uh, and if it's good, he'll probably be a part of it. If they don't like it, then they're going to blame it all on him. But I, I don't think we'll get to that point with them. Uh, I, I not think it. I think Star Wars fandom is split. Jim, Jim, our good friend Jim Vaveda, who we hope to have on again in the future, and hopefully uh, things are good there with our relationship with Jim. Um, but. Our good friend Jim Vavita of IGN.com, the last time he was on, or one of the last times he was on, talked about how Star Wars means different things to different people. And I think that it's different from Marvel. Marvel 
you know, means one thing to one set of people because it's, it's newer, it's fresher. The thing with Star Wars is you had the first three films and then you had a break. So anybody 40 or below, that's their Star Wars. And then anybody 20 to 35, the prequels are their Star Wars. And then anybody 25, you know, between the ages of 15 and 25 and younger, the sequel trilogy, Rebels, Clone Wars, that's their uh, that's their uh, Star Wars. And so, you know, that's they, they, Star Wars means different things to each one of those generations because they had three different versions of Star Wars in a way and three different sets of actors and three different, like, it means different things to different people. And I think it's different from anything else in that way. Whereas, for example, Hayden can be welcomed back on the con circuit by some and not accepted ever again by others because there's two different reactions to the prequels among those two separate sets of fans. Yep. Yep. I, I don't know. We'll see how, how it all works out for him. Um, I'm hoping for the best. I hope that people can get past their, um, their biases from, from how, wh- however they feel about the prequels. If it's theirs, if it's not, you're going to be here for the Obi-Wan stuff. So, you know, just give it a chance. So, Chad, let's talk about the Marvel uh, rundown there. They keep adding stuff to phase four. Um, your thoughts are on what you are least excited for and most excited for out of the gauntlet of shows that you got this afternoon. Um, if we're going to talk in total about what they show, uh, uh, the least, the thing I'm going to be the least excited for is obviously going to be, uh, the Marvel zombies cartoon. I am just not a fan of zombies. I know every universe has their own zombie apocalypse. I just have no use for it at all. So that's the thing I'm looking forward to the least, uh, as far as MCU proper, I'm, I'm going to try to stick to what we actually got footage for. And I guess, I don't know. There, every I, I think the, the new things we got footage for were Moon Knight, uh, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk. Uh, I think that's it for the live action ones coming out next year. So I'm going to go She-Hulk just because I didn't, I, I'm still curious how they're going to do this. It looks like it's going to be, um, it looks like it's CG. Uh, she's CG, and we also got to see the Hulk back in CG action, not sporting his brace, uh, which was a kind of surprise for me uh, that he's had ever since Endgame. But I think I'm going to go with She-Hulk just because I, I that's a lot of CG in a TV show to be on that level. I know Marvel has loads of money, but how they're going to really go with these full CG characters but I'm but I'm equally excited for all of those like live action Marvel things. Uh, I think the the news that got me most excited is not MCU related. It's uh, childhood related, which is the the relaunch of the Fox X Men cartoon that will be. It seems to be a continuation. They're titling it X Men '97, so it's going to still be the same group uh, a few years probably a year after the cancellation. So they're going to pick up where that stopped. 
So I'm I'm curious what they're going to do with it and how they how they're going to keep it going. And it's like the first, I think it's the first official X Men project announced from Marvel. It's not MCU, but it's still X Men, and that cartoon is beloved, uh, very beloved. So I'm I'm eager to see what it looks like when you have Disney money behind it and consistency that Disney has, so we can get. My whole problem with that show, and it's nostalgia and all that. My problem with that show is the animation is trash. I understand why the animation is trash. That shouldn't be the problem here. So uh, that is stuff to get really excited for. Uh, outside of that, I mean, we got a whole bunch of title cards for a bunch of stuff. I know it's coming. I'm just not, I don't even think we're in a place to talk about any of that stuff because we're not seeing any of the other those other series announcements until um, 2023, with the exception of maybe Secret Invasion, because we did get to see a moving image of Nick Fury from that show. So maybe that is the fourth show coming out in 2022. Yeah, the, the interesting part of that is a very gray-haired Nick Fury. Um, one that is, you know, looking quite a bit older than even what we what we saw from him in um, uh, what we saw from him in Captain Marvel um, or uh, from Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, which was a hot minute uh, again. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting for sure. Um, I'm trying to, if you give me just a second. Yeah, go ahead and look. Uh, I'll say about that Nick Fury thing. Uh, I've I, I ever since I realized how old Samuel Jackson really is, I was wondering how they would do the age of Nick Fury in these movies, uh, because Samuel L. Jackson is in his seventies. Uh, I thought Nick Fury played younger than that, but with this with this picture, they're just going to lean into it. Nick Fury's old. Uh, we're going to let him look old. So when we f- eventually phase him out, because you know Sam can't do this forever. That is the explanation. It's because just simply because of his age and uh, the way they've gone about aging up Nick Fury is interesting. I wouldn't have thought that they would go the complete old man. I'm just not, I'm gonna stop shaving my head. I'm gonna stop shaving everything. Go full beard and stubble where my hair still grows. Yeah. So here is the full list. Um, Here's the full list of what I've got from uh, every Marvel thing from Disney Plus Day. You've got the X-Men 97 uh, original series coming in 2023. You've got the Miss Marvel series coming in summer 2022. You have the Groot series with Big Daddy V coming back. You've got the She-Hulk television series, the Secret Invasion television series. The confirmation of the Agatha Harkness um series agatha house of harkness mm-hmm. you've got the uh, new logo for iron heart um you've got the new new logo for iron heart uh and you have new footage from moon knight uh miss marvel and uh, or the marvels she hulk and uh, as i said um as I said, Moon Knight. You also have Marvel Zombies, confirmation of What If Season 2. Um, you also have um, 
confirmation of Ecto, Ecto Enchanto, however you pronounce that, a character who's going to be in uh, Hawkeye this Christmas that's going to get his own his or her own spinoff, Native, first Native American superhero. Um, so yet all those kind of announcements, as long as well as, you know, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, um, you know, and those kind of things. Yeah, and it's it's Echo, and it is a she is a uh, a girl. I don't know much more about her, uh, but we'll see her. Yes, I forgot. I forget we're going to see her in Hawkeye. Uh, yeah, it was it. They really have a whole lot of stuff, and this is a whole. And there's literally a point in that little teaser trailer that is like, we're not going to see, like. We'll be here next Disney Plus year. I mean, next next Disney Plus day. And half of these things you show me title cards for, we're going to get the little sizzle. Not not even half of them. We're going to get the little sizzle that you gave us this year for, for the other four shows that are actually coming out. So uh, I just say get excited about the things that are coming out next year. Know that there's more coming, but we're probably, most of the things that you saw are going to run into 2024. I mean, hell, the Guardians thing that's coming out, I believe that is coming out next year. They yeah, Christmas, shut- 20, Christmas 2022, and we'll have elements that you will need to be aware of for Guardians 3, which is 2023, which has started shooting. Yeah, so they haven't even started shooting the Christmas special yet because yep. they're shooting yes, they that. No, they're, they're, shooting, shooting both, they're shooting both together. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. Uh, I know they just start, like, officially started shooting the movie, but in... And like the 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 strictest of terms, they haven't even shot us. They shot for the they started shooting for the movie. They ain't started shooting for that yet. I know they're shooting them at the same time. And the Epcot ride, they're shooting all of those things at the same time. But that's a whole year from now. They ain't got like a frame of it to do anything yet. So they got some work to do on on that. But we got that little title card. Disney Plus Day next year. We'll probably have a whole trailer for that because it's probably going to be coming out within like two weeks of us seeing it uh, at Disney Plus Day. But it's just to say that Marvel has planned out a whole bunch of stuff and we're just getting we're just getting started in this whole list of things that 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 are going that are going to go for like the next two to three years. I am half surprised Kevin Feige's head has not exploded. That man is the Nick Saban of movie producers at this point. The man needs the man needs a raise. He's paid very well, but the man still is still underpaid for everything they are asking him to do. Although at this point, I think he has kind of delegated more to the Nate Moores of the world to kind of uh, run things on sets and been less hands on in that sense. But uh, man, this Disney Plus thing is a whole another a whole another level. It's a whole yeah. That's a to to think, I know you're saying that you know he needs a raise because everything they have him do is not just that he's running Marvel Studios. Uh, I think it was last year in that restructure. He's running all of Marvel. That includes all their uh, their comic stuff too. He's running that whole thing. Uh, so I know he gets paid quite a bit, uh, but with so many sp- plates spinning. And so much stuff going on. It's uh, it's amazing that he gets it all done. Eventually, you would have to start delegating some of that. And I think that's why 
at con at Comic Con 2019, he brought all of his producers out on stage to be very much like, and that's one thing I'm learning through reading the book is that it is a collective team. That yeah, Feige is the front and front and center face to it. The the one of the great things that you learn in the book is that uh, on the initial the initial fundraising mission for the original Iron Man, they had to find the financial backing for that um, for that hedge fund they were going to use from Merrill Lynch to basically, this fails, you can have all of our catalog. Works, we get our money back. Um, and it talks in great detail about how you had your money guy and your content guy. And your money guy gave his presentation and then Feige came in as the content guy and gave his presentation. And he answered all the questions about who Iron Man was and what he did and what his power set was and how they wanted to do things and all the rest of it. Like that's who Feige has been from the beginning has been the, the, that guy. And he's understood more and more of the financial aspect of it uh, as time gone, has gone on, but like man wears a bunch of different hats and he's, he's delegated and it's been a team effort and he gets a lot of the praise, but I'm glad he, he's also been very, uh, very um, humble about it and very much about sharing sharing the the uh, attributions that come his way yes he has and yeah. and to answer the question i'm most excited i, I share your concerns about she hulk i'm excited to see bruce banner and abomination again <laughs> in 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 a form that that mcu related that's going to be fun um because again one of the things you learn in the uh in the book is about how much creative tension because i didn't i had forgotten that they were developing hulk and iron man at the same time so they were essentially two teams working at the same time on two different movies and feige having the ping pong between both developments and it it goes into detail about their negotiations originally with universal about the rights for that character and you know how they were going to work and maneuver that and so, like, I'm interested in She-Hulk, but I, the thing that made, got me the most interested, I would say, would have been, honestly, the Hawkeye footage, because that just looks like a fun lethal weapon movie. <laughs> it looks like a, a lethal weapon movie, and it's, that's, that's fun to me. Clint Barton playing the, the older dude to the younger, uh, the younger Katie Bishop. And the witty banner that they have in the Christmas setting, it all kind of works for me, especially if the way that they shot it is the way that they showed it today and the way they've showed it in the previews, it looks to have a very, a very Shane Black, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, Richard Donner level of, of, of staging. And so I'm okay with that. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to it. The thing that got me the least excited is Marvel Zombies. I got enough of that in What If. I didn't need more of it because, like, I know there's a horrific side to comic books, and Marvel has their own line of like stuff that they do and have done in their history with with zombies and the undead and all the things. Um, but that was probably the thing that that got me the least excited. Um, Oscar Isaac doing a weird voice playing a you know what amounts to a paranoid schizophrenic after being encountering an Egyptian god is also kind of interesting to me. But again, 
that dude could literally act his way out of any in any role <laughs> and be you know like scenes from marriage story is pretty much a remake almost shot for shot of the original and yet it's super dynamic and super interesting because of those two lead performances nothing else like oscar isaac is a force and a presence in dune and he's only in like 30 minutes of the movie like that dude's really good and you team that up with uh marvel and them giving him the leeway to express himself through trying different different things and doing more experimentation with the role i'm interested in that as well yeah the the only the only reason i didn't really mention moon knight uh because everything you said about oscar isaac is like spot on uh, but I know that about Oscar Isaac. So it w- I just wanted to get more of a feel for what this show is going to be. And and of course, you want to see him in the suit. And we kind of saw him in the suit, but not really. Uh, so we saw, the silhouette jumping, we saw the silhouette jumping rooftops. Yeah. Oh, well, you see you see him on the floor, like beating somebody's face in, it appears. But it's only you only see the back of him. You can see the cape. You can see the arm. But you know, Moon Knight has that hood and he has that kind of mask thing. You kind of want to see what that looks like, but they're not ready to show us yet, and that's fine because I think Moon Knight. Uh, it's only production for less than six weeks. I thought it was longer than that, but that seems about right because Moon Knight is going to be one towards the end of next year, so it, it makes sense that we're not seeing a whole lot of him. But. I just I just kind of wanted to 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 get a better feel, but it's not time for that, so it, it's fine. Seeing Oscar Isaac in those in those scenes, kind of out of context, didn't really light my world on fire. Just because I know Oscar Isaac can whatever they want him to be, I know Oscar Isaac can do it. I just want to see what they want him to be. This is your reminder that Oscar Isaac played Apocalypse in a Fox movie. <laughs> in a costume that made him look exactly like Ivan Ooze. You know, as bad as that movie is, as much fun as we made of it, I've forgotten that. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm sure Oscar Isaac thanks you too for like reminding people that that happened. I completely forgot. Completely. Olivia Munn also wishes people would forget. <laughs> I mean, I'm, her, I'm, I had no problem with her so much in the movie. I mean, at that point, my problem, problem with she had a problem with the way she was treated on set with that skimpy costume. Well, the way her treatment that is that is wrong. I it's been so long, I don't even remember exactly what happened, but I can imagine because you know it was a Brian Singer set. Uh, the outfit it's the comic outfit, it is very skimpy, but you don't treat anybody any differently because they have to wear the little skimpy outfit. It's a character, you that, that's as far as that goes. And this is also your reminder that your good friend and favorite director, Simon Kinberg, has a new movie coming out this Christmas. Does he? The 344 or whatever that super female team of uh, spy movie is that, I've, that you've seen the trailer for a couple of times. Yeah, that's, that's uh, Simon Kinberg. And the funny thing about it is on like the poster card on, on, the, on the movie, it says from the director of X Men Days of X Men. Uh, uh, Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. 
Uh, I completely missed that. So that tells you everything. I, that tells me everything I need to know about them. Yeah, it's yeah. that Jessica Chastain movie where like they're spies from every other country and they all come together for one mission. It's like the 344 or something. Forget the title of it. It's a Fox movie. I believe it's a Fox movie that, that changed over to Disney with the merger. Let me see if I can figure this out. I I got nothing on this. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been in the theater. This was the first Thursday. I had not been in a theater since the second week of September. Like, Hollywood definitely gave me a good month and a half run. But, like, over the course of that time, I've seen this trailer at least twice. Uh, let's see what we got upcoming projects. Uh, the 355? That's it. I have seen I I've missed everything about this. I had this is not registering at all. Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, Diane Kruger. Uh yeah, yeah, this is quite uh quite a bit of people in there. I don't know how I missed all of this. Um, it's almost all set I action set pieces. Well, I mean good luck to him. Maybe it'll be good. I mean it seems like everything that he's that I know that I'm aware that he's been a part of that has not been X-Men has been all right. So here, good luck to him. Was Fantastic Four really all right? Okay. I, wait, wait. Okay. Scratch that. I forgot about that. Anything that's not like Marvel Fox related, he's been all right with. Um, I think I'm safe on that one. Probably. Probably. So while we're on the Marvel train, Chad, let's talk about Spider-Man. No secrets left. <laughs> I don't even think we need a kid. <laughs> I don't even oh, think we have to give. I don't even have to think we have to give a, a spoiler warning anymore uh, because the stars are just are just blatantly doing that for us. Um, so your thoughts, Chad, on the latest? The poster, which has four villains in it and zero Spider-Man except for one, and um, the star making comments that he probably should not be making. So and pictures and pictures that are floating around the internet, making Twitter a not safe place for Spider-Man spoilers. All right, let's get to the. We'll get to the good stuff real quick. Uh, so on the poster, it's fine. I know people online hate the composition and look of the poster. I'm not into that kind of stuff, so I can't, I don't really care so much, but it does give us our, you know, it blatantly gives us Doc Ock. It blatantly gives us Green Goblin in the background. You don't get a good look at him, but you know that it's him. And they tease Sandman and Electro with the sand coming down the screen and electricity going around. So that's four villains for Spider-Man to face. Um, and I think we kind of all knew that. So the poster, you know, it's fine. Um, Yes, especially when, especially when Sony tweets out with the poster. Zoom in on those details. Yeah, just be so blatant about it. Which, which because they did that, further lets me believe that they're not going to give us that when we get the second trailer, they're going to give us the two other Spider-Man because they cannot help themselves. But uh, moving on to Tom Holland's comments. I'm going to be quick on this one too. So he said that there, nobody else is in the movie but him. He's, that, that's what he's going on record as saying. I understand why he said it. 
Um, because if you're Tom Holland, your reputation is that you're like a you're like a sieve. You just leak information. So his stance, this movie has been like, oh no, not me. It's not gonna be me. Somebody else might give it up, but it's not gonna be me. So I'm just gonna lie and say no. Nobody's in the movie but me. And you know what? I think that's gonna work. I, I, people will be people are gonna come at him when the movie comes out, and the other two Spider Men are there for a little while and say, "You said they were you were the only ones." And if I'm him, my my reply is, "Look, y'all have killed me for years for leaking. I lied. Get over it." And we just move on because that's that that's his best course of action. I applaud you for finding a course of action that works for you, Tom. That was the way to go. Now, these pictures. I'm not even going to get into like where they came from and how they ended up online because that's a whole that's a whole thing and I don't feel like even talking about that. But the pictures themselves. So, if you are a person, I, like we've talked about this before, uh, in the context of wrestling and AEW and the whole CM Punk returning and how it was an open secret that CM Punk was returning, but they never said it. So Spider-Man has been operating in the same fashion. It's the biggest open secret in the world that we're going to have more than one Spider-Man in the in this movie. Nobody will say it. We just talked about how Tom Holland lies about it. So the only thing they can do, the only thing they need to do is just get across the finish line without actually showing anything until the movie comes out. And then somebody decides to leak out pictures of the three Spider-Men together. They leak them to a a YouTuber um, that's very, uh, he's got a lot of uh, followers out there in the Twitter sphere who his claim is he thought they were fake, which is why he put them out into the world. Um, and then he, five minutes later, he deleted them because apparently Sony called him and was like, um, who gave you those? Prompted him to think, okay, maybe I got the real stuff. Now, it. so if you take him at his word, the at best, he's, an, he's a moron because you know, Anybody with half a brain that follows movies knows that so like at, at this juncture, they do not want to re- reveal that the other two Spider-Man are in this movie. If you have any druthers about you, you know that Marvel just wants to give that moment to the fans in the theater. So even if you think the pictures are fake, the fact that you have them and to put them up is a glaring lapse in judgment and terrible for any movie fan out there because he's since going on to say that he's real he's going to feel really bad if they turn out to be real and that he put it out there into the world well if you you put them up because there was a chance they were real so you don't that that sympathy thing doesn't work people on twitter that just casually scrolling through through twitter and see these pictures that have garfield mcguire and tom holland all together um and I can say this because it's all on Twitter. Um, we can put a little warning on it if you want, but there's an, also the other picture of uh, of uh, McGuire, not McGuire, of Tom Holland with Aunt May, Marissa Tomei, John Favreau as Happy, and Matt Murdock, Charlie Cox from the Daredevil series, sitting in his living room. If you just if you think those are real, 
you just don't put those up because it's going to get out. And if it's real, it's ruined these moments for everybody that's come across. So that's kind of where I want to go with the pictures. The fact, like, the, I mean, I guess there, there's still a chance that they could be fake. I'm assuming that they're not. And the biggest takeaway for me is that it has is effectively ruined that moment. Spoilers don't really bother me. And again, we kind of know that this is going to happen. But I still want to be in a theater to have that that CM Punk moment where the because the, there's going to be like a moment in the movie. It's like, is this happening? Is it not? Is it happening? Is it not? And for it to actually happen, even though you kind of knew it was going to happen, that is still rewarding as a viewer. And that has now been taken away from some folks. The uh, cap, the Captain Thor's hammer moment. Yeah, if, if if there was a picture of Cap with Thor's hammer before Endgame came out and I saw it again, spoilers don't really bother me, but I would have been pissed. Do you know how excited I was to watch that in the theater and to have that taken from me? I would be upset. And that's the same thing with this. Hence the reason, sir, that I am on lockdown for a movie that you tried to spoil for me the other day and that Collider tried to spoil for me by putting all of the spoilers in the title for the trailer that had dropped, okay? I am on full lockdown for Ghostbusters Afterlife. You have sat in a Ghostbusters movie with me dressed in full Ghostbusters regalia, watching me mark out as older folks showed up on screen, even if it wasn't the movie I wanted, and a movie I'd actively campaigned against at that time, um, I still was open to the movie. I still went to the movie and had positive things to say about the movie afterward. But like those moments, the mark out moments, as I call them, that were all throughout Endgame, and the director has referred to this as Spider-Man Endgame, those mark out moments should have been preserved. Now, it's a very limited subsect of the population that is going to have access to these photos or have access to these photos there. It's not your everyday common occurrence that people would have run across them. People like me and you who follow this stuff very closely would have seen them, obviously, but still to take that moment away from arguably the people who would, who would it mean it would mean most to is just inherently wrong. And there's still such a thing as journalistic integrity. There's such a thing as just, doing the right thing by the fans. I mean, if I recall, Tony Khan was asked the day of the AEW in Chicago event and was asked uh, about the punk thing. And he, he said, all he said was, we have no intention of letting anybody down. He didn't confirm, he didn't deny, but he said, trust me, it'll be worth it, basically. I'd rather that than to have the entire thing spoiled for me because I still want the mark out moment. And the fact that that markout moment has been taken away for some people is disappointing, as I am also disappointed that Collider chooses to run article headlines that talk about New Slimers and Bill Murray when I could have just watched the video and found those things out. See, this is why I asked you if you saw it, because I didn't know if you wanted to see it. I'm not, And I didn't say anything until you said, I'm on lockdown. I'm like, oh, cool. I got nothing else to say about it. Next Thursday is going to be a whole lot of fun, Chad. I am actually looking forward to the afterlife and to little miniature Mar uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Men and 300 Easter egg references 
and you actually live in a city that's going to get an advanced screening uh, with a fan Q&A um, that I don't live in. So you're actually going to have access to it before I will. But it's it's a big deal for me. Uh, if anybody's listened to this podcast in the almost five years plus that we've been on, in the almost 300 episodes, the 300, 250 episodes we've been on the air, you know how much Ghostbusters means to me you know how important that sequels, the true sequel that this is going to be means to me. And so to have that spoiled or potentially spoiled by just literally scrolling through Collider is not the best thing feeling in the world. So I can understand how Spider-Man fans feel about having internet theories confirmed to them by pictures that uh, probably should not have made their way to the internet. Nope, not at all. Not at all. Um... Matter of fact, Chad, I think they made an entire movie about something like this. I think they called it The Post. <laughs> I think they made an entire movie about whether or not to publish something that was, you know, preeminently important. Yeah, and 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 as for who published them, to put your damn watermark on them and then, like, trying to feign innocence. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah, indeed. So, Chad, let's uh, let's talk about Last Night in Soho in the French Dispatch, neither one of which had made any money, both of which now had Blu-ray release dates less than a month after their initial theatrical release. Let's talk about the fact that, like, the big-name awards players, the the Last Duel, the French Dispatch, the Last Night in Soho, these kind of movies, are not, you know, they experience box office troubles in a normal year. This year, they're literally being put on Blu-ray and streaming quicker than you can than you can skin a cat, and uh, and why that might be, and what that might say about either the quality of the films or just the distribution model of award contenders in this environment. I don't, I, I don't think it can. We can judge it on the quality of the movies. Uh, I think it's, you know, you say. Those are those are. I don't want to say niche, but they they almost are. Uh, people are still making decisions about what they're going to see in the theaters, and as of right now, because we're still we're still in the pandemic, people are saying, "Okay, we'll go see the the spectacle event movies. Uh, we'll go see the big fun movies, but the smaller movies." Um, with that, that shorter theatrical window, which most of them probably aren't even aware of, they just know they might see something that's interesting. Was like it's not it's not that big. I'll wait, and then before they re- before they know it, they've forgotten, and uh, they go check out whatever streaming platform they rent movies from, and they see it. And it's like oh, it's already at home. I can go watch it now. Or for those things that are day and date, like oh. I, I don't need to go out to see it. I can just watch it at home. I think that's where we're at right now. And until we're like clear of the pandemic enough where people feel more comfortable to go out, just if they want to go out to the movies for anything to go out, I think that's kind of where we're at. If it's something, if it's something kind of off the beaten path, it popular movies are going to be the ones that drive the movie theater going experience right now. Anything that's smaller that doesn't have some kind of popular hook or appeal, I think that's where it's headed. And, uh, you know, I like Edgar Wright, but a lot of people don't know who Edgar Wright is. And they see Last Night in Soho and they don't 
understand what's going on and like you know i'll catch it when i catch it if i if i want to so i don't think that's an indictment of quality of movies right now i just think that's a it's just the reality of the situation we are in right this minute seven people chat that's what i had in my thursday night screening of last night in soho seven people um the film is very interesting i think i tweeted out and i still believe that um I still believe that, like, Edgar certainly had something to say about male masculinity and toxic masculinity. Um, Reading a lot of what he's had to say and what others have had to say, it also seems he had a very clear, distinct message about uh, what he wanted to say about um, nostalgia and the way that nostalgia for time period and for people and for things can warp perspective. it's an interesting movie. It's not necessarily his funniest movie. Um, I feel bad for, uh, how do you pronounce her name? Aaron Taylor-Joy. Anna Taylor-Joy, I think. Yeah. I feel bad for her because she keeps getting stuck in movies that don't make money. And she gives really good performances in a lot of them. New Mutants was the same way. Like She gives a really good performance in New Mutants. But no one sees New Mutants because things. Um, so... I mean, I'm disappointed in that, but it, the reality at the end of the day is Last Duel is a movie about two medieval guys fighting to the death because one is one's wife has accused the other of rape. <laughs> Not exactly your classical fun, let's take the kids to the movie type of thing. Not at um, all. Last, last Night in Soho is literally a movie where the conclusion involves a whore a burning house in a black man dying, uh, lying stabbed in the chest, and a white girl trying to save him. Um, all surrounded by 1960s noir and, and all kinds of things. And then House of Gucci, which is going to be the next really big thing, also Ridley Scott film. Man, the man's like almost 90 and popping out two movies a year. Um, he, wants, he wants to do a musical next. Um, you know, House of Gucci is about, you know, Gucci who was murdered and about the the, the, the family and about the, con- the conspiracy that led to his being assassinated, basically, uh, with a performance from Lady Gaga that is getting praised all over the place and a performance from Jared Leto that is also being praised all over the place. God help us all if Jared Leto becomes a two-time Academy Award winner and then makes a movie about being a vampire killer. Um you know, this is your reminder that a Morbius movie has come. Um, so I, I think the mature content level, the marketing for these films were not the greatest. I'd say that Last Night in Soho and House of Gucci have had better, um, uh, have had better uh, publicity campaigns than has, uh, than did Last Duel. But again, Last Duel is a Disney movie now. It's, you know, it was a Fox movie and then it transferred over in the sale. So that might have impacted some of what they want to do. Again, Disney doesn't want to really promote a movie that has, you know, rape (laughs) accusations in it. So it's interesting. Um, The awards race itself is shaping up to be very interesting as we enter the home stretch here as we enter the holiday season. Uh, But it's just interesting to me that like, a Marvel movie can make $70 million opening weekend and be considered a possible failure. And people 
you know, arguing about whether or not the thing was any good. And here we are, we got Edgar Wright doing Last Man in Soho, Last Night in Soho, and The Last Duel, and Ridley Scott, and people are like, made $4 million over its run. Failure! Even in good times, Chad, neither one of those movies make $100 million. No, no. But, but you know, people are going to, they're going to make that argument right now. They're going because they can. I don't know why. Uh, well, I do know why. It's because people are paying attention. Outside people are paying attention to the box office because of the, because of the pandemic, and people can kind of push what they want. But yeah, in a normal atmosphere, those movies, that's not those type of movies. But people that don't follow movies don't know that. Which is part of the problem that the Academy has, in that a lot of the crap they're going to nominate come February is going to be these type of films and people aren't going to have seen them. And so they're not going to have an incentive because Vegas doesn't actually post um, doesn't actually post Oscar odds because it's something that can be a known thing before the event happens. They don't really get involved in Oscar wagering. Some other sports books in the States and especially overseas do. But like there's not really a motivation for people to tune in if your casual, you know, Aunt May has seen one of the movies, if that, you know, and that's, that's kind of the problem. A lot of people saw Black Panther. Not a lot of people saw The Artist. <laughs> not a lot of people saw Maneri. Not a lot of people saw um, uh, the, even though it was on Netflix, the, uh, the, the movie that they had last year, the black and white movie, uh, David Fincher oh, made last year. Um, uh, the one that uh, the Chronicles the making, yeah, Chronicles the making of uh, of uh, Rosebud. Um, of Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, yeah, yeah. and it yeah, loosely I, loosely talks about Mank, Citizen Mank, Mank, yeah. Um, there we go. I'm sure our good friend uh, Nathan Velasquez is virtually kicking his computer right now. Because uh, we can sure think he of is. Quick, <laughs> quick enough. But I mean, like, even though it was on Netflix, it didn't get seen by nearly as many people as, you know, some of the other stuff. And that's kind of the problem. If you don't have a horse in the game and you can't bet money on it, what incentive is there really for you to tune into the telecast aside from seeing movie stars and pretty gowns? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the aforementioned Nathan has has talked about that for a while about uh, what the Academy is and is not doing, but I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to take for them to realize to, to wake up a little bit, but. As I continue to look at your Christmas tree and horror, I am going to do you a favor and, and, and I'm going to divert <laughs> our attention this afternoon in this podcast to a topic that you care very passionately about. Henry Cavill has stated that he would like to enter the MCU as Captain Britain. Your thoughts, sir, on an entire interview where that man just continued to make news, including saying that he was playing the Witcher on the most difficult setting possible. All right. I appreciate you saving this towards the end so I don't have to go off on a rant. And considering I'm, I'm trying to get this done before people walk into my house, you've done me a favor. I can't come off like a lunatic. So uh, I'm going to, you know, Henry Cavill gave his his Hollywood Reporter interview. The the thing about playing a Marvel superhero, 
Uh, I've said on this podcast before, I want him to do it. Why? Because I want Marvel to rub it in DC's faces that you had a guy that was Superman that you couldn't get right. And we're going to take him and make him freaking Captain Britain or something like that. And he's going to get so over and you had him as Superman and you can't get it right because you're idiot. The Adam Cole effect. Yeah, I want I want that to happen just for the spite, just because I'm a very just because I'm spiteful in this instance. The the interview itself, um, because I, I read the whole interview, the f- well, the reporter all like seemingly refers to him halfway, not even halfway, like most of the way through this, he the reporter keeps referring to Henry Cavill as Superman and how Superman like he is and all these things. And of course they bring up Superman and the dude still wants to do it. And he, and in the interview, he's in the closet. That's been his line for like four years now, three years now, pretty much since justice league, it's been capes in the closet. And he, uh, and, and he keeps showing his bona fides and the fact that they bring up the whole killing of Zod thing. And, his reaction to it and how the the scream and hug of Lois and all that at the end wasn't in the script. And it, it, he said, as he recalls, that was all on him because he wanted it to reflect the pain of what Superman just did and how influential that is and how it's going to shape him going forward. Say whatever you will that Superman doesn't shouldn't have to kill to know to not kill. The rationale he gave because the decision was made that Superman was going to kill his eyes. The rationale that he made for that is a perfect way to inform what we think Superman should be, saying that he gets what Superman is. So that article is like just double and tripling down on the fact that this guy gets what Superman is. And if he had a proper Superman vehicle, he would have been excellent. But DC cannot get out of their own way to make that happen. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. You have seen the rundown with my many, my, my, my thought processes of where I could have gone from that. And maybe, you know, we'll do that later on another day when I feel like, you know, kicking DC when they're down. But the overall, the overarching thing of that is that Henry Cavill is very busy. Henry Cavill still wants to be Superman. Uh, Henry Cavill could be James Bond. And he would be great at either either of those roles, given the proper things around him. And that the first Avenger had an insane budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, I was shocked when I was pulling those numbers up. I did not think that one was that high. Period pieces, man. They cost a little bit more. That makes sense, though. So, Chad, let's end this podcast with your very specific box office number next week for Ghostbusters Afterlife. You know me, you know the fandom, you know the reception to the Ghostbusters from 2016. You know the promotional materials for this. What are your thoughts on a box office number? Because my number is, uh, I know where my number is sitting. Um, you know, when I make these numbers, it's always about, is it going to be day and date? And Ghostbusters is not day and date. So I think it should be on the higher end. How high? Um, I don't know. Because I, I mean, I know you and how invested you are in the fandom. 
the person that lives with me watches Ghostbusters. I, I kid you not, it, it's at least uh, twice a month, at least. Normally, if she catches it once, it's a few days in a row. So I know Ghostbusters has a thing, but now, now this is going, to me, is going to say just how deep is Ghostbuster fandom. I think I'm going to say that it should be around 50. I think I think 50 should be a good sound number for them to start off with. The number I have in my head is $38 million. That. A couple, couple of different reasons. Um, one, you just had a Ghostbusters movie four years ago. That's true. That, that is going to dilute the fandom and it's kind of going to confuse, I think, the general audience. Uh, two, you're in the middle of a pandemic. It's the holiday season. People are still making choices about what they want to go see. And if they have a choice between going to see a Ghostbusters movie before Thanksgiving or going to see a Marvel movie after Thanksgiving, I think they're going to choose to go see the Marvel movie after Thanksgiving because the Ghostbusters movie is not, not a guarantee. Um, I think the publicity campaign has been much, 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 thousand times much better this time than it was in 2016. Uh, last time we got a trailer in April for a movie that came out in June. We have not had that problem this time, and they have put Ivan Reitman front and foremost on that uh, on that press tour, and he has been outright with from the beginning of shooting, putting out pictures and talking about his affinity and being the number one Ghostbusters fan. Because remember, he was a kid when his dad was on set directing those movies. This is his livelihood. This is in his DNA, in his blood, and he is resurrecting the characters as they are, as the hot toys have shown us of the original three in their costumes. Um, we all know good old Ernie Hudson enjoys sitting, uh, propping up his feet and enjoying a, an orange slice, um, and he'll make more uh, orange slices after this, um, but I'm, I'm cautious about this because of like what Ghostbusters is, because you have to remember too, while Ghostbusters 1 and 2 are seen on television a lot, there is also a, a portion of the community out there that only knows it through the animated series. So, I mean, it's been a hot minute, um, especially since you've had these guys in jumpsuits, because they weren't in jumpsuits four years ago. So it, it's he's been out there, and Reitman has been out there and in front about it being a Passing of the Torch movie. Um, I love the fact that they put any pots front and center in the marketing. I love the fact they're following that it's Egon's family. Um, but I just don't know the general population is going to hook on to this the way that I am. Because I, I am passionate about this film because I feel like I'm getting the thing I've won since I was eight, which is a legit Ghostbusters sequel. And uh, Crazy Uncle Dan finally pulled it off after many, many summers of going to Hyannis support and drinking wine and trying to figure out a script. Um, this is not an invitation, however, for Crazy Uncle Dan to replace John Candy and do a Raid Outdoors sequel that absolutely no one on the face of the planet needs and that the Candy Estate should put to rest immediately. Um, there's only so many times you can have Annette Benning make the, the uh, washing machine and dryer joke. Um, so I think it'll be th uh, 40, uh, $38 million and I think it'll be open on over 4,000 screens and it'll be up to Sony to decide from there because I actually think that the VOD rental 
in streaming uh, numbers for this movie, when it does hit, are going to be higher than what the box office is going to be. If if that happens, I think they they'll be happy. It's you know I tend to go on the higher end because I I, I just think that the higher end should be higher than fifty, but uh, you have a very measured approach, and I can't really argue with it. Isn't isn't it crazy though that like Eternals was tracking for seventy fives, ends up with seventy one, and people are like, "Damn the Marvel!" Yeah, because people make no sense. All right, so that'll about do it on for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at BCW Tiger Fan. And I'm at the Mitch Theory. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant evening.